get going here today, I'm. Uh, this is a little bit like uh, the times when I've either bought a new car or I've been thinking about getting a new car and I've decided kind of what car I want. Then you're driving down the road and you see them everywhere. Because your brain is going there, oh, okay, there, that's okay. Um, when, when we start talking about uh, shepherds and shepherding in Israel, and start looking through the scriptures, you, you begin to find out how many times that the Lord used this imagery in his mortal ministry, and it ties into actually how he taught in the Old Testament, that the imagery of, of shepherding is huge. Uh, a few years ago, I think I've mentioned that we had a chance, uh, we were on the island of Crete and we took uh, four wheels, four wheeling all the way to the top of the White Mountains that got us way up up on top and, and we went to a, to a um, goat and sheep uh, herding area and the shepherds up there serve, serve. They, they, uh, they're there for about four months with no electricity, uh, and, which was kind of interesting when we got all of us up onto this little area and it's way, way up in the mountains, away from everything else, and it's his little uh, shack and, and the sheep and the goats and everything, and I had this wonderful group of about 40 people, and we all had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and there was no bathroom. <laughs> and to see all of these wonderful sisters, for instance, heading off into the mountains behind Scrub Oak and stuff like that was, was uh, kind of fun. Everybody was troopers about it. Uh, but we got to see the, uh, the sheepfold there consisted of, there, there was a kind of a little valley in, the, in the, these two hills. Uh, kind of with big rocks on the back and they would just run them through uh, into this little enclosed area and a single gate uh, kept the sheep and the goats up there. But, but some would wear bells and they would follow the one with the bell so you can hear them tinkling up there and everything. But, but they did belong to different herds. They could be led out of there and go with a particular shepherd. Um, but that's where the, up on top there and then they would milk the goats up there and you got this incredible feta cheese uh, out, of, out of this area. So, so part of it too is kind of a recognition of kind of watching how this works. I've been pretty excited about this. Originally when we were going to talk about this it was going to be a single class. Um, at this point it's about two and a half classes. We'll see kind of how far we get because there's just too much information here. And the, and the amazing thing is because both uh, both uh, the Savior as Jehovah and the Savior uh, during his mortal ministry was using so many uh, instances to refer to this. It's another way to see the culture and the background behind the scriptures. So um, anyway, this should, be, this should be kind of fun. Um, now from that, from that standpoint then, uh, so there's at least uh, at least two powerful sermons with Jesus describing himself as the good shepherd. There are more references. Um, and, and this is more going to be for next week. Uh, we get uh, three parables as one in Luke 15. So we're going to get to see the good shepherd, the good woman, and the good dad in Luke 15. 
And then John 10 is going to give us an idea of what he does with lost sheep and what happens when you have bad shepherds uh, and how you handle that. Um, and then we're actually, we'll see how far we get, and then Mark 6 is going gonna, is gonna to give us an actual moment of the fulfillment of the 23rd Psalm. So, so much of this is symbolic, but the Savior keeps having these moments where he literally fulfills these shepherd moments. And when you actually pull back and look at it, you can see that he's, it was also prophetic about moments that would occur with this. So, uh, is that enough for tease? Okay. Now, but shepherd tradition is a common Old Testament theme. So if we go back and we now look at... <coughs> First of all, God describes himself often as a shepherd. So we get, like in Psalm 78, He led forth his people like sheep. He guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Isaiah 40, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Pay attention to the words gathering and carrying and leading. Because you start to get a sense of God's um, personality and character and the way that he goes about his salvation business uh, by looking at how, uh, why he's re re connecting himself with shepherds. Now, it would make plenty of sense then that if he's going to, if this is how he sees himself, this is the imagery that he uses, that if he's going to call leaders, he's going to, for instance, David, what was David before he became king? A shepherd, right. He chose David his servant. He took him directly from the sheepfold. Uh, from uh, 78 is telling us, and following the nursing ewes, he brought him. Okay, he was young. To be a shepherd of Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. So the shepherd is going to inherit the flock and is going to be responsible for the flock. That's going to become really important here in just a second. Let's see. Then we get to Moses as a shepherd. Psalm 78. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses his servant. Where is he who brought up out of the sea the shepherd of his flock? So in, in seeing himself as a shepherd, he sees his leaders as shepherds, and he wants, and he often, so just before Moses is going to battle with Pharaoh and do all that, what was he doing? Remember? He's minding the flocks of his father-in-law. Okay, So you have another shepherd that says, you know what? You're a shepherd. You'd be a perfect leader for my people. 
you sort of you get it you get the dynamic of it there's something about shepherding that's going to uh, make a difference and I, I've I've mentioned in here a couple of times before even my own uh, pioneer grandfather long before he goes to Kirtland and long before he's in the Mormon battalion and all that uh, what he's doing is tending sheep for his grandfather and reading the Book of Mormon uh, while he's tending the sheep and sitting there at night he says that tears would flow um, but there was something about the gentleness of the sheep that set him up to understand what he was reading in the Book of Mormon uh, so so even when we get into the scriptures the, the Lord is going to say okay I've got David is a shepherd uh, Moses is a shepherd and then he's going to say but you know what I'll tell you what's coming there's a shepherd coming in the future there will be a shepherd that will save his people Micah he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. So in other words, they were looking for a shepherd that would come in the, in the future. Which clashed a little bit with the idea that like the, the, the zealots and the uh, Essenes and those people were looking for, they weren't looking for a shepherd to come. They, they, wanted an, they wanted an army and they wanted a general. They wanted a Judas the Hammer that was going to ride into Jerusalem on his war horse. So it was a little bit, we're not quite sure what to do with this image of, of this Messiah that's going to come as a shepherd, not as a general. Um, now, so in order to kind of set this up though, uh, the beautiful thing then is that we get in, in uh, the Old Testament, we get this beautiful setting for shepherding, uh, and it's going to come from King David. Uh, we think a number, we're not sure about the scholarship of a number of the Psalms, but, we're, but scholars are almost completely unanimous on the fact that the 23rd Psalm is David's. Uh, and for a couple of reasons that you'll that we'll talk about so if we go back and take a look at David he starts off as a humble shepherd uh, he defeated Goliath with shepherding skills he also defeated he also kills a lion with shepherding skills uh, we'll talk about that one in a second so defeated Goliath um, he becomes king and helps unify all Israel remember there is a hundred year period from Saul to David to Solomon where Judah and the tribes of Israel are all united then it's after that that they break up and go in different directions but David and King David is seen in Israel as the hero He's the almost the King Arthur of of, of uh, that. So when you you fly into uh, uh, Israel and it, you're just going to find David everywhere. Now, the struggle is uh, that uh, of course he sins with Bathsheba and then with Uriah, both. Um, and, and then, so then we get kind of the repentance process that goes with all of this. Um, and in 2 Samuel, by the way, Chronicles leaves out some of this. 
First, no, Kings leaves out Bathsheba and Uriah. Chronicles covers it. <laughs> you know, it's like, we, there's this thing we don't want to talk about that happened with David. Uh, we'll leave it out. Chronicles says, no, we'll put it in. Okay. Uh, David says unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, now the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord. Uh, I know that we, we tend in our, in our uh, culture to say, well, David, from what we've read a little bit, scriptures, what sometimes the brethren have said, well, he lost his inheritance and, his, and it's sad and he did all these great things and now he's not going to be able to be there. And, and how hard is that? Um, I've mentioned in, before that uh, I'd heard uh, years ago, I'd heard uh, Truman Madsen speak and he's talking about the fact a conversation that he had with uh, Hubie Brown. And that he says, Hubie Brown believed that David would be exalted. That the Lord loved him and given everything that he was and his inheritance over Israel, that King David would be exalted. And uh, one day as a graduate student, I'm walking around BYU library and I see Truman Madsen over there studying. And so I kind of came up to his little carol and I peek over the top of it and I knock on this thing. And Brother Madsen looks at me and he said, and I said, Brother Madsen, can I ask you a question? And he says, sure. And I, and I said, I heard a quote ascribed to you, and I figured I'd better get it from the horse's mouth. And he says, well, that would be a good idea. What question have you got? And I said, well, I heard a quote that you had had a conversation with, with President Brown, and he, that he described David as one day being exalted. And he says, that's exactly right. He did. He didn't know exactly how it would occur, but when he looked at the overwhelming love of the Savior and the eternities and stuff like that, he believed that one day he would be exalted. And that was the moment when I went, maybe I don't know all the stuff I think I know. But I need to give the Lord credit to handle things His way and, and not be quite so rigid in my thinking about the way I think things supposed to be. Okay, which actually gave me a lot of joy and happiness. I think because because there are few people that have served in church leadership that I respect more than Hubie Brown. He was he was an incredible man. But, yeah. I know, I know. That's why it was interesting to me the scriptorian and understanding of someone on Hubie Brown's level that would look at that and go, "No, I think he will." I thought, well, that's interesting. So I don't know. I don't know. But watch, the, but watch what happens in conjunction with Psalm 23. Because you're going to watch this process at whatever level this repentance is going to be able to be done. Watch how this works. Okay? So, let's look at it in the fact that the 23rd Psalm is written by David and we think it was written while he's in this repentance process uh, from all that happened with uh, Uriah and Bathsheba. Okay? Alright. He begins with, The Lord is my shepherd. Now, immediately there are a couple things that should jump out on this. Okay? Um, when we think about shepherds and flocks. We're thinking about shepherds and flocks. And in this case, he's saying the Lord is my shepherd. You don't think about shepherds leading a flock of one through the woods. 
through the across the the uh, valleys. He's saying the Lord is my individual shepherd. So first of all, we get in a sense that he sees an individualized. The Lord is taking care of me. The Lord understands me. Now think about the moments that you guys have had. Where don't you have little tender moments? Those little tender mercies where you suddenly realize, oh, wait a minute, the Lord who's created all these things out here, he knows me individually. He's aware of my circumstance. Uh, I was, we were listening uh, yesterday, the, the Plano State uh, youth just got back from Trek. And a uh, little gal in our sacrament meeting, her job was to declare miracles. When something happens, you come and tell me, and she gets to be the miracle judge. <laughs> I said, yeah, no, that wasn't a miracle. No, that one is a miracle. And she said, and at the, at the first of it, she kept saying, she was turning down most of the miracles. No, I know you couldn't find your shoe, and then you happen to find it. That's not a miracle. <laughs> And she said, but it's interesting, as, as it started to progress, and she looked at some of the amazing things going on, she said, suddenly I started being like thinking, everything was a miracle. <laughs> the Lord was taking care of things, and I would just think, ah, it's just coincidence. But her heart kind of softened as she went along, because at first she was like, no, that's not a miracle, go away. It's just not, nah. The longer she went, it's like, no, that's really cool. That would be a miracle. The Lord knows you and he knows your circumstances. You need your shoe <laughs> to keep going through the mud. Okay, that would be a miracle. <laughs> the Lord knows you. Okay, so first of all, is the, the, this, this Lord knows us individually. He is my shepherd personally. But the other one is, he's a shepherd. <laughs> the Lord shepherds. And then he's going to show, show us how he does this. Okay? Ah, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. <coughs> Think about the things that you want for a minute. And he says, as a result of the Lord and his shepherding, you're going to not want. He's going to take care of your desires. Well, if you're, if you're a sheep, if you're a lamb, what is it that you want? Food. Food. Yes. Food and? Water. Water and? Protection. Protect, why protection? Wolves. Yeah. As we're going to talk about in a second, sheep, the, the image of a sheep is the fact that if we're talking about all kinds of animals, like dogs and cats, they have claws and they have teeth and they, and they can run fast, you know, and they, have, they can make scary noises. What about sheep? They don't have any of that. They are completely helpless to predators. You know, maybe a ram might try and hit you with his head. But other than that, you are completely susceptible to predators. So how are you going to stay safe? Have a shepherd. You've got to have a shepherd or some way, either in an enclosure, or you're going to have a shepherd that's going to take care of that. So one of the wants that you're going to have, I need safety. I need to not be scared. 
Okay? So, think about the wants of what sheep might want. Now, I've, I've changed the verbiage on this. I'm using some of the NRSV language. And, and you might want to follow along in the, in the King James Version because we're used to reading it in the King James Version and in doing so, we miss a couple of things. And this is one of those moments. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Okay? Uh, anybody have... If you have a dog, can you train and make a dog to lie down? Yeah. Sure. Lie down. Roll over. You know. If you have a cat... <laughs> you, you see the point? <laughs> I try... I try. If I say to my cat, "Lay down," <laughs> forget it. <laughs> He's going to look at me and say, "Give me more food." <laughs> okay. Sheep are that way. You don't make it the sheep to lie down. Down, sheep. <laughs> okay. But what you can do is, he settles me down in green pastures. Now, the question is going to be, when, do you, when would a sheep settle down in a green pasture? At what point would they do that? They, first of all, they have to feel safe. In other words, they don't have to be on alert. Okay? Okay? So, first of all, they have to feel a sense of safety. Okay? Hang on to that idea. We're getting to that one. Why, when else? When they are fed and they're watered. Right. And that's when they're going to lie down to kind of digest. So they're going to have to be fed. And then they're going to have to be able to feel safe enough that they can do that and rest. Okay. Now, that's kind of an important deal here. Sheep lie down when they're taken care of. We think about words that we use, like uh, the, the Sabbath is going to be a day of rest. We're gonna, the Israelites thought about going to the bosom of Abraham. What would it mean to be in the rest of the Lord, or to, be, to re receive the Lord's rest? What would have to be there? Spirit. Okay. You're, there's a sanctuary, a place of safety, and, and and what have you eaten and drank? His spirit. Yeah. In other words, there is that sense, and because when after you have had a big turkey dinner at Thanksgiving and you're feel a trip and you're full of tryptophan, how do you feel? I'm feeling good. I feel, yeah, you know, it's just that sense of it's time for the Thanksgiving nap. Okay? It's that sense of peace and well-being. That's when you lie down. Is when you feel safe and you're feeling peaceful inside. So when he says the Lord is going to settle me down, he's not making me to lie down, down sheep. He's saying, I will settle you down and you're going to be able to rest because you'll feel at peace. You'll feel calm. 
And then he's going to settle him down where? Green pastures. Okay, now walk, walk through this for just a second. In the morning, if it's a very small herd, maybe just a, it's a poor family and they have just a few sheep, where do the sheep stay? Think back to our discussion of those of you here for when we talked about Bethlehem uh, in December. Where do the sheep stay? In their house. In the house. The back of the house. The lower area is called the manger. Okay? Uh, and, and so the, the sheep stay in a small group. Again, poor family. It's a, it's a uh, single dwelling. And the very back part of the house, usually sloping down, uh, helps take care of any uh, animal droppings and stuff like that. It slopes down. That's the manger. And it's separated from the rest of the house. You do that so that your sheep don't get stolen. And then, uh, and so they spend the night there. Then they have a little trough where they can drink out of, or you can put babies, I guess, in in there. Okay, if they're staying in the guest room, there. Okay, so that's if it's a small herd. What happens if you have a large herd? Where do they go? There's a sheepfold. And that's going to be an enclosed area. In this area, that would often be a cave or a rocky enclosure. But you wanted to have it in such a way so that you could have a single entrance into it. That's why they liked caves, things like that. So you can block. The Savior is going to talk about, I am the door. And that you have to come through me. There's a single entrance into this enclosed, safe area. Hang on to that when we talk about rods and staffs. Uh, that there's a single enclosed area that you go into the safe place and where you come out of. So they're going to be staying, the, they're going to spend the night in safety in the sheepfold. Okay? Now, they wake up in the morning though. Remember, they're put there in the early evening. They're going to spend all night there. Not a lot, it isn't like they've got big bales of hay to feed the sheep. And they're throwing throwing that in there. This is it's maybe a little bit more that way now, but in the first century there wasn't. So they haven't eaten for a long time. So uh, first thing in the morning, the shepherd's going to come and open the sheep fold. And where are they headed? Green pastures. Now that means though that we're going to have to leave and, and listen closely. Again, you got to put on your kind of your symbolic metaphorical hat for a second. We're going to leave the safety of the sheepfold where we're not being fed but we're safe. And then we have to do what? We've got to follow the shepherd. Where are we going? To green pastures. Now the green pastures aren't close by. Where are the green pastures? the world we live in. Yeah, it's kind of so it's in the world and good shepherds know where the green pastures are. It's not like Texas where everybody's got, you know, acres and acres and barbed wire and it's just that there are green pastures up there on the hills. And what we've got to do, we've got to pass through some sometimes some scary areas. We got to pass through the wilderness to get where? Up to the green pastures. 
Now this is made more so of a problem by the fact that in Israel the rainy season starts about early November and it rolls through about February. So there is during that during that winter months and into early spring you actually have many more green pastures. Everything is green. It's like you've seen the pictures of the California super bloom. Every now and then the whole the whole world comes alive. Up in the Galilee it stays a lot more green longer. But down in Judea where David is and where the, the setting for this is, it's going to take you a while to get out of the town away from the house, across kind of the wilderness and the scraggy area, and then you got to get up the hills to where the green pastures are. So he's going to, so what's going to happen is he settles me down in green pastures. He's got to get me up to these places and I've got to travel a little bit in order to get to this place. Okay? Feed for the day and then at the end of the day I come back to the safety of the sheepfold. Okay? Now, Think more symbolically. What did we just describe? Start from a place of safety, go out into a wilderness, feed and gather the things that we need, and then and then we go back to the sheepfold. That is life. The plan of salvation. Absolutely. That's mortality. And all the necessary steps have to be there. We're in a protected place, but we can't be fed the things that we really need as much as we like the safety. We've got to leave Heavenly Father's presence and come down into the wilderness and, and, and find out where the green pastures are, not the scraggy places. We've got to be able to get, and we need, how are we going to know if I'm a sheep where the green pastures are? The shepherds have got to show me where the green pastures are. And, and they're going to... Now, by the way, and we're, I'm going to talk about this in a second. If, the, if, uh, if I'm being driven from behind, I'm not exactly sure where I'm going. So therefore, I have to be... He leadeth me. And, we're, and we're, that's what we're going to talk about. So he's going to settle down in green pastures... Now, this is kind of a, and again, th th think about, uh, you have to kind of get into their mindset a little bit. In these days, um, I'm always amazed when we travel, that doesn't matter where you go in this area, it's always about safety. And you have to assume that uh, uh, there's a chance of armies coming through and you're going to be attacked by somebody. Uh, I remember when we, again, back to the top of the Crete Mountains, uh, the White Mountains up there, the shepherds up there, even in the people little village, because we stopped down and had a lunch of this wonderful cheese and everything up, up there at the top of the mountains. And they were very proud. They said, we have never been conquered. We are a gun-toting people. They fired guns off at weddings. But they said, uh, the uh, Romans didn't conquer us. The Ottomans didn't conquer us. The Nazis could not conquer us. We have never been conquered up here. Because they knew how to use the mountains as battlements and protect themselves. And so you just don't mess with these guys up there. Okay? We know our area. Now, down in Israel, though, they've got these battlements and walled cities. Uh, and so we've got... Um, 
So here's, here's uh, Jerusalem. Here's the walls there. But what's this? The Salt Lake Temple. Isn't that interesting? What, why, would, why would Brigham Young and uh, Truman Angel and those guys that are designing the Salt Lake Temple, why would they, and I don't know if you ever th really thought about this, the battlements and the castle-like thing on the outside of the Salt Lake Temple? What's the purpose of that? President, what do you think? Why would the Salt Lake Temple have what looks like walls and protection? Safety, absolutely. Okay. It is the mountain of the Lord. Place of refuge. It is. It's a place of refuge where we're going to be inside there, and we're going to be safely protected from the the forces on the outside. Absolutely. And that was kind of what they were trying to say. Especially if you are bedraggled children of Israel who have come out of uh, the United States and Nauvoo and Missouri and now we're going to get out to the, the fastness, the protection of the mountains, but we're now going to build a temple that looks like a castle to say we're going to keep out all enemies. And belongs to royalty. Yeah, and this is and royalty lives inside this safe place, so it's going to be a place of kings and queens inside the inside the castle. Okay, now they were they were there was always a sense uh, that safety then lies in walled cities. A mighty fortress is our God, right? And then we talk about strong arms and you've got to put on the armor of God because we're going to battle. Christian soldiers, we're all, you know, it's about safety lies in power and he, God is our general. And, and in fact, a lot of times they'll talk about the Lord of hosts. The hosts of what? Hosts of armies. Okay, God will protect us. Yeah. I was just thinking about President Nelson and the youth Lord. And how they can go to the temple earlier now. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, in other words, we're trying to kind of fortify and think about the words that we talk about, strengthen and all those kind of things. We'll be strong. Yeah. So when you talk about my mind went to in my day it talks about Gentiles, how the kings and queens will be the nursing fathers and the nursing mothers. Yeah, wait a minute. So, so, so Isaiah, Isaiah 40, I think, or 3. Yeah, I think it's earlier. That talks about that Israel will one be saved and, and that kings, uh, the Gentiles, those, those kings and queens will be there nursing fathers and mothers and they will carry them on their shoulders. Kings and queens are those that are yeah. Yes. There's a protection here, but but watch how the imagery shifts about how this works. Okay? So there has always been this sense that this is how safety comes. Okay? Now, instead though, what we're talking about is sheep, and the imagery he uses is sheep who can't defend themselves who are not going to be armies, who aren't going to be fortified, and they're going to have to go to areas like this. These are the, these are the green hills. This is uh, uh, Bethlehem. 
and the, the hills around uh, Bethlehem. And you had some little walls here that kind of helped form some of the sheepfolds and there, there are caves back over in this area over here behind. But here's, here's uh, the hills where the sheep would feed. But you're going to have to go from these walled cities and walled protection and walled sheepfolds and now you're going to go across the wilderness and be exposed for this, for this period of time. Because the image that we want you to have is that you're sheep. And you've got to depend on the shepherd. In fact, the Lord over and over is going to say to Israel, let me be, uh, let me protect you, let me be your God. I will fight your battles. I will fight your battles. And he said that to Joseph Smith as well. Uh, let me fight your battles. How's he going to do that? Well, he's going to settle me down in green pastures and he leadeth me. He leads me from the front. Now, there might be another way to do that. So today, not so much leading goes on. And in fact, it's interesting in the, the stuff that I've been written, reading uh, in a lot of other countries, it's not so much leading from the front like they did anciently, but it's driving from behind. So, well, let me give you an example of that. Depends on how well you speak New Zealand. Well, these robots aren't just selling human jobs, but they're after man's best friend too. That's right, there's now a drone that can bark like a sheepdog. This latest development comes as more and more farmers start using drone technology for work on the farm. Now, if you can understand this guy speaking, speaking English, good luck. <laughs> now, if you're listening to this, well, then you will need to go back and yeah, turn it up. Corey Lambeth has been shepherd on this sheep and beef farm, which backs onto the Wyo River, for about three years. It's a job that involves moving stock, as well as checking water and feed levels, work that Mr Lambeth says his drone has made more efficient. Wintertime is ideal for checking not flying and sitting at home on a cold day on the outside, so I'm flying make sure it's stuck behind the wire or if it's stuck break feet, you see? You getting all that? Okay. The latest drone model, the DJI Mavic Enterprise, which comes with a $3,500 price tag, is able to record sounds and then play them out over a speaker. This means a dog's bark. Lazy. <laughs> 
seen there, the wood chop was broken. You know, I had to go and find where the leak was. It took me 30 minutes from finding it to actually fixing it. So it saved me driving to each individual paddock, looking at each trough to make sure. And Mr. Lambeth's employer, farm owner Ben Crossley. Okay, that's probably good. <laughs> Modern shepherds. And they're using drones. I think that's awesome. But isn't it interesting that the, the image there is not so much of a, of a shepherd leading from the front as much as it is driving from behind. Okay, and so you're going to, and, and how are you going to move sheep from behind? You've got to bark at them. A good sheep dog will nip at them and run around and drive them back and forth. And, and so you get this sense of they're having to be sent in a certain direction. The imagery that you're getting in, in the 23rd Psalm is of a loving shepherd and they're following what are they following the master they're following his voice uh, ancient shepherds had, had either uh, a uh, short little uh, like a, a 10 second call that they would recognize, or there was a, or they used a little shepherd's flute that could be used uh, that they would also recognize. So that's why you could actually mix herds together, and the shepherd will make their call, and those shepherd will separate themselves. The, she the sheep will separate themselves out to follow their shepherd. We'll talk about that. That will become really important when we get to John 10, uh, talking about that discussion. Okay, yeah. Yeah, she, she, she's, she's nailing this in, in terms of saying the Book of Mormon talks about is, are we going to act or be acted upon and if, we're, and if we're driven by fear sometimes if we're driven by fear we're being pushed from behind we talk about lost sheep next week we're going to talk about how sheep get lost sometimes it's their own willfulness to say I'm going to be driven by fear or guilt or something like that rather than I'm going to follow a, a shepherd and I'm not going to do it out of a sense of fear I'm going to do it out of a sense of love because I know this one protects me okay yeah, now you're getting it. And that's why I say, it. the more that you understand this, then you start taking a look at the, the symbolism that's being used and it should jump out at you. He's going to settle me down in green pasture. He leads me uh, from the front beside the still waters. Okay? Now, this I found kind of fascinating. Uh, one of the things about sheep is, and it's just kind of something peculiar to them, um, sheep won't drink out of running water. There's something about running rivers, and they will, they, they will pass up, they're thirsty, but they will pass up running waters in search of still waters. So a good shepherd actually has to be able to, to go in sometimes and cut out a little channel, a little side channel in the stream, so the water will come down and it'll settle and it will be much more still. Uh, so they're able to then, because to them, uh, it looks more like this. If anybody ever been to uh, 
Um, Island Park. Uh, this is this is the the, the spring from which the, the rivers in Island Park kind of emanate from. And those are still waters. They are gently they are gently moving. Now compare that with uh, I found uh, I I find it fascinating that if I go to First uh, Nephi eight and eleven, we're going to hear. And it came to pass that I beheld that rod of iron. Remember the rod. There's a link here. I beheld that rod of iron which my father had seen was the word of God which led to the fountain of living waters or the tree of life. You get a sense that there was a fountain probably right alongside the tree of life. Okay. Now what happens when the water then remember these things are up on mountains like the Garden of Eden was and it's going to flow down and then it turns into running waters okay and the, but the waters and the stillness there they're a representation of the love of God still waters they are there we can drink from them uh, it feels safe there and it looks so it can look something like that which is as the water in Island Park kind of comes out a little bit you get these the sense of beautiful stillness and things like that but what happens to the water in the tree of life image in the vision that that the rod of iron is running alongside of it's filthy water absolutely if you get into that filthy water people get lost in it Okay, there is going to be some real parallels between, uh, and it's one of those studies I'd like to be able to do, between the 23rd Psalm and 1 Nephi 8 and the vision of the tree of life because there are a lot of, there are a lot of points that they have, they share in common. Okay, uh, so you get this sense of still water, so I'm, I'm going to have a safe place to drink. Okay. So, he settles me down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Now, he leads me beside and then I act to drink. He doesn't make me drink. You can, you can lead a sheep to still waters, but you can't make him drink, right? <laughs> yeah. Don't all of our temples have like stealing waters? They do. We, we tend to like having those watering kind of things. There is a... Uh, that, that imagery, like think about the big pool right in front of the Salt Lake Temple uh, between there and Hotel U what was the Hotel Utah now Joseph Smith Building. Seems like I read somewhere that the sheep are inherently afraid of the waters. Wool gets very heavy when it's wet. Yeah, you, if you fall in, you're not going to be able to get out. They're dead. Right. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, this becomes really important. This is one of those moments when the King James Version is more poetic, but in its poeticness, if that's a word, we actually miss a little bit of what's going on. Because in the King James Version, we're going to talk about the fact, uh, He leadeth beside still waters, He restoreth my soul. Now, 
the other ver the the actual Greek and and Tom Wayman is one of those that says what that let's put it in different words he brings me back is the actual Greek King James people said may he restoreth my soul which is re really true it's just more more poetic you need to be a little bit more common sense to really understand what's being said he brings me back yeah, to what? Brings me back from what? Who wrote the who wrote the psalm? King David. He brings me back. So this is really talking about repentance. Right. He brings me back from our Sin. He brings me back. This is, again, think of it in, in a mortality type of sense. We're talking about this shepherd, and he's leading me to all these places, and he brings me back. He, he restoreth my soul. Then really does make sense. But he brings me back, and he brings me back to what? The paths of righteousness. The paths of relationship. Now, how did I, why do I need to be brought back? It's going to sound simple, but why do I need to be brought back? Because I got lost. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, when we're going to talk about in, uh, when John 10, or even, even Luke 15, when we're talking about lost sheep and lost coins and lost boys. We're going to talk about how they have gotten lost. And what does it require to bring them back? It requires the efforts of a shepherd to do something very interesting. And that is, it comes at great personal sacrifice. When does a, when does a shepherd know that a sheep has become lost? When he count and when does he count them? I guess in the evening. In the evening, certainly. Yeah. In other words, in the morning, I'm going to take him out of the manger. I'm going to take him out of the sheepfold. We're going to walk through the wilderness. I will expertly lead you to the green pastures, and then and so you should enjoy the green pastures. But at some point, this shepherd then brings them all back to the safety of the sheepfold, and we'll talk in a second how he counts them. There's a very specific way he counts them. But at some point, as he's standing there at the Mouth, he realizes I took a hundred out I've got 99 one of them is lost and it's evening now what does he need to do he's got to find the sheep now take that one step farther and again you, you got to put on your your sheep thinking thing okay whether you were uh, Ezekiel talks about bad shepherds that don't pay attention to taking care of the sheep, but if if your if a sheep has wandered off uh, and uh, has become lost, what happens is is that a, a sheep will become scared and they're going to look for safety. So they're going to kind of get up in the rocks or behind a bush or something. They're going to kind of settle in to try and be safe. And then what are they going to do? They start calling out. They start bleeding. And they're calling out. Hope they're calling for the shepherd. But where's the danger in this? The, the wolves can also hear the bleating. Yeah. 
And so enemies can, can search them out and go looking for them. Um, Ken Bailey in, uh, in his book uh, Through Middle Eastern Eyes talks about the fact that he talked to a shepherd once in, uh, in Lebanon and, and he, had, he had had this exact experience and he said I brought the sheep in uh, we recognized that one of, the, one of the ewes was missing and he says and so uh, he says I left my, my uh, flock with uh, my cousins and he says I, I, I grabbed a friend of mine and he says we spent four hours having to go up through the scrub brush and we're looking all over and he says and it takes us four hours and he says just about the time in the middle of the night that we're scared that we're not going to be able to find this sheep. He says he's calling out and they have a little and he, and he said there's like uh, in his case he says I had this call that I would call out. And it was something like hoo hoo ha ha ha. You know it's just like this short little thing that they all recognized. It was his signal to his sheep. Hoo hoo you know and he says he heard a little faint bleating uh, and he says, and they went, and right underneath the rock they found, and he says, I found, I found the mother, but to our surprise, she'd also given birth to a little lamb. Oh. And he says, I took the lamb, I held it to my breast, and I carried it home. And he says, my friend led uh, the, 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 uh, the mother sheep back, and they were back safe. And he says, and we got back, and everybody celebrated that we had, not only did we find the sheep, but we now had a new lamb as well. But more than that, it was also, we thought we'd lost it. And, but it took this effort, but at great personal sacrifice, in the middle of the night, they're going to have to say, I'm going to leave all the other sheep here, and I'm going to go looking, and it's going to cost a lot. And it's going to be hard work, but it's worth it to go find that sheep. Well, that, that sense of, he leads me back to the paths of righteousness. How do shepherds lead sheep back to the paths of righteousness? I think so that we, as a member of church, we had to look around for the person that is in action. Yeah. See what happened to that person and find out with the leaders that it's gonna... this is that person and that's not because uh, uh, we have to bring them back. And, and it'll come at great personal cost. Okay. Sister Moon, how many adults were out there this weekend on the trek? Probably almost more than Almost more than the kids, okay? So what was the cost for them? Yeah. But in terms of time? Yeah, they definitely they had to take off work. They had to take off work, give up their comfort, they're going to be out there. Now, the youth are also doing the same thing. They're learning about things like this, but I'm thinking about the adult leaders who are then going to say, we're going to sacrifice our time and our energy Over the last six months, eight months. to get it all ready at great personal cost. Shepherding costs. Shepherding costs. Uh, but because of that, the sheep know who they can follow. They know who they can trust. Okay? So there is that. He leads me back. Psalm, don't miss this. Psalm 23 is about repentance. He brings me back from whatever paths I have wandered. So we're going to talk about lost sheep next week. Particularly we're going to see the cost involved in the shepherd on this. Okay? Does that make sense? Um, now, beautifully written into song. 
He leads my wandering spirit back when I forsake his ways and leads me for his mercy's sake in paths of truth and grace. Yeah, I can turn that up. Oh, yeah.
Yeah. How about that? What's the name of that song? My shepherd will supply my needs. So, if you get this sense, he takes my wandering soul and brings it back. I mean, that's, that's the imagery here. At great cost to the shepherd. Uh, he brings me back. He restoreth my soul. Now, in order to do that, um, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, um, this idea of the shadow of death is the part of this is the wilderness experience, uh, and 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 there's been a lot of things suggested. Uh, about what this valley of death might be for all of us as we're kind of making this journey back from where we wandered and we're being led by the shepherd and he's bringing us forward. Let me give you one example of this and this is going to actually be, uh, it's real short, it's uh, Eric Huntsman uh, who's, who is writing a, a commentary on the book of John, BYU. Uh, wonderful BYU professor at Jer BYU Jerusalem Center. Here's, here's his explanation of this. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm going to hop ahead here. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Thus reads the 23rd Psalm, appropriate as we look at the Kidding Valley as it sits today towards evening here in Jerusalem. This today as then was an area across from the city of Jerusalem, which was used as a cemetery in the first temple period. Thereby, the Arab village of Silwan, there were tombs opposite the city of David. In the second temple period, these tombs came across the Temple Mount. You see some of these iconographic tombs from the second temple period. Significant to us because as our Lord walked from the upper room, in Jerusalem, up there. this direction, yeah. to the Garden of Gethsemane, he would have passed this valley, which was deeper in antiquity than it is now, so much so that it was frequently in shadow even during the day. And of course, the tombs would have added the second element in that song, shadow of death. Uh, what our Lord must have thought as he walked by all these tombs, knowing what lay ahead for him, we can only imagine. But here we are, Kibbutz Valley, towards sunset in Jerusalem. Okay. So one of the things that, that I'm finding as I'm kind of researching this is that there's all these symbolic moments in things like the 23rd Psalm. But it's amazing that there are these moments that are played out in the life of the Savior. And this, I think, is one of them. This, this is a literal uh, fulfillment of that 23rd Psalm. When the Savior starts way up in the upper room, the, the city of... Uh, uh, the corner of the city of David... Uh, where they're having the, the Last Supper. And then he's going to make his way down, like he said, down out of, uh, down into the Kidron Valley alongside the tombs, shaded in, in darkness, and then making his way over to the Gethsemane, which is just a little bit north of, of that area. Okay, so uh, in a sense, each one of us, as we're making our journey, we're, and, he's bring, and he's leading us, and he's bringing us back, uh, and paths of righteousness. It's coming at great cost to him. But what about us? The cost of repentance and going through repentance 
Isn't there a bit of a valley, a shadow of death for us? What's the feeling like as we're making this journey? It's just hard. It is hard. Painful. It can be painful. It can be hurtful. Okay? There, there, is, there is godly sorrow that comes with this. Okay? That's why Nathan is telling King David, you know, you've, you've offended the Lord. And that, that sense of uh, the Lord has done so much for me and yet I've offended him. Okay? Now, how do we do that then? Well, he says, in this process, uh, I will fear no evil. Now, something, now there's a major change that suddenly occurs here. We've started with the idea, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he leads me, he brings me back, and then what, what happens here? Here's the shift, and it's, it, they call this the hinge point in the 23rd Psalm, okay? I will fear no evil, why? Thou art with me. Suddenly the Savior appears on the stage. Up to this moment, it's been, I'm grateful for him. He's doing all these things, and now he, it's like he's turning and dressing him and saying, the Savior shows up. I will fear no evil because you are with me. You're here. And there is a sense of this. This is the moment when he comes in, in, uh, and takes on uh, a physical body, and he's here with me in the larger sense. And then there's the moment also that says, after I have passed through the wilderness of my repentance, and I get there, and I, what do I find? You are with me. You have arrived. You are, I feel you. There was a period of time where, think about Joseph in the garden, uh, or in the grove, and he's, and he's praying, and he wants to get some answers, and then it gets dark, and he's going through the valley of the shadow of death, and he says, I want to die. He says, it just felt dark, and darkness was, and, it, and I thought it might be consumed. Then all at once, it's like, the light comes, and he says, you're here. You have arrived. The light comes after the valley of darkness. And in this case, literally, there's a moment when the Savior, instead of being over there, the shepherd, instead of being directing from here with, with David's and Moses's and all those, suddenly he says, in the meridian of time, the shepherd comes in the flesh. I won't fear any more evil because you've come. You're here for me personally, but here as us as a people in the world has the shepherd here. He says, the shepherds that have been out there are messing up. <laughs> I don't like what the Herodians are doing. I don't like what the Pharisees are doing. I don't like any of them. And I will come personally for you to reclaim my sheep. The shepherds are fired. <laughs> I will do it my. The owner has come. Okay? I will fear no evil. You are with me. Now, how are you going to do this? The, the phrasing here is kind of interesting. When he comes in his glory, or when he comes to me in my 
in my repentance and my sadness and all that. He says, one of the ways that I know that you bring, that you are here, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now we might think, well, why would I be comforted by a rod and a staff? And I'm not going to get to see the rod and staff till he's standing in front of me. Yeah. Will the rod be the word of God? Hang on to that idea. Okay. Let, let me show. Let me show you what Egypt thought of the the rod and the staff. It looks like that. Okay. Can you see it? Here's the staff. It's the shepherd's crook. But what is this thing here? That's an Egyptian flail. But it's also based on the idea that the rod of a shepherd, a shepherd would carry two things, a rod and a staff. The staff is, is the shepherd's crook. I can reach down and pick up a lamb and move it over here if I need to, or pull them in just a little bit, get their head and slide them in the right direction. Why would he need a rod? To, um, <laughs> to beat up the bad wolves. Anyway, <laughs> protection. A shepherd's rod was about two and a half feet long, often iron. It was almost always an iron rod. Either wooden with, with nails driven in on there, or sometimes it would be more like the flail, where it would be wooden at the bottom, but there would be uh, some kind of metal shards or something like that. Or it could be used like it is here as a club. That's the rod. And it, and, and it could be used to then defend uh, the sheep. That's when David's talking about that he defended the sheep. He killed a lion and he, he beat it with the rod. Okay, I will defend, I will defend my sheep with the rod, not with the, not with the staff. I'm going to defend it with the rod. Okay? So there was a sense then uh, in ancient Egypt, which is interesting, um, when Moses shows up in the court of Pharaoh, are we talking about his a staff or a rod? It's the rod. The word is always rod. I went, went back to research that. Yeah, he, in other words, let my people go. <laughs> this rod that I'm carrying here, um, in fact, when, when he's standing before the Lord, and the Lord says, at the burning bush, and he says, the Lord says, wait a minute, uh, take off your shoes. Okay, I did. Now, what's in your hand? And he goes, well, it's a rod. <laughs> Ah, he's carrying his shepherd's rod. Okay, he's been out protecting the sheep. Well, put it, I'm going to give you a sign. Throw the rod down, and it turns into a snake. That's one of the ways that you will know. Then grab the end of it. Ah, oh, it's a snake. Yeah, I know. Grab the end of it. Turns back into a rod. Okay. Okay. And so it was this rod that was used to direct the people. And generally, for the pharaohs, it meant... On one side they are the shepherd, and the other side they are the king. It's the king that sets kind of the rules of, of everything. Okay? So, so we get to 
Ezekiel 20, there, there's a, another kind of rod. Listen, this is from Ezekiel 20. I will, this is, uh, by the way, this is uh, at a time when Ezekiel has been taken off into Babylon. They're in the exile period. Jerusalem has been destroyed. We've lost the temple. We've lost our people. We're scattered all over the place. And Ezekiel then is going to say this. I will bring you uh, uh, I will bring you out from the people. I will gather you out of the countries where you were scattered. And Ezekiel will talk about, a lot about bad shepherds. They got scattered because the shepherds were really bad. Okay? With a mighty hand and a stretched out arm and with fury poured out, I will bring you into the wilderness of the people. Okay? Out in the wilderness. And there I will plead with you face to face. As I pleaded with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will plead with you, saith the Lord God. And I will cause you to pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. Okay? So hang with me for a second on this. At night... When the, when the sheep are coming out of the green pastures, across the wilderness, the shepherd is going to stand at, uh, and he's going to call out to them, hoo, hoo, you know, and they're, they're coming, and he's going to stand uh, at the mouth of the sheepfold, and he's going to hold the rod, and he's holding the rod, and he's using to kind of check them as they come through, but that as he's doing, he's checking for wolves in sheep's clothing, <laughs> or, or something that might be coming in along with the sheep. He's checking. It's a screening process, okay, and he's using the rod, um, kind of like TSA, kind of, we're just checking here, okay, so he's got, he's got the rod going, and, they, and in order for everybody to get from the wilderness, the profane, through into the sacred area, the safety of the sheepfold, they're going to have to pass under the rod that's going to check to make sure that there are certain things that are where it needs to be. Everybody that's going to pass from the wilderness where they were scattered, come back under the covenant, he's bringing me back, he's, but he's bringing me back under the rod. Okay, can you, can you sort of see the symbolism in this? Uh, now, do we have any other cir circumstances where we think everybody's going to pass underneath the rod to go from, from profane to sacred? And the veil is one of those places. We're out here, and then we're going to have to pass through, and we're going to have to signify that we know certain things. And we're kind of tested a bit to make see if we have taken on certain covenants. Are we now eligible to pass under the rod into the safety of the celestial room? I love that. Okay. Now, by the way, before you even get to that point, let's say you drive up to the building of the temple and, and you've been busy doing things and you're carrying your little suitcase and then you're going to walk into the temple and then what happens? you got to pass under the rod. <laughs> there, there is the temple recommend guy. And his job is to say, uh, no, state president didn't sign this. We're, there's something to miss here. We're going to have to we'll call the state president. Okay, yeah, we can go ahead and let you in. But that's passing underneath the rod to say, for me to receive the covenants, I first of all have to pass through this threshold, this, this place that I've got to pass into. Okay? By the way, one last one as a side note. Boy, we're way out, almost out of time here. Um, where was the first one of these where we had? We got a 
where you've got somebody standing with the rod in, in the history in the Garden of Eden instead of a rod it is a flaming sword there are angels standing there to say we will decide we, it's our job to determine who gets to come into the narrow path because there's, there's a path into this and, and there's the tree of life and our job right now is to say Adam and Eve because they are now fallen they've fallen forward they're doing what they're supposed to be doing but our job is to stand here with the rod the flaming sword and not let you back into the tree until the time is right until till the Lord brings you back Okay, does that work? Okay, there is through history always these little threshold areas. Um, if if you want if you want a little bit more contemporary, think of Lord of the Rings. I think of Gandalf on the bridge. You know, you shall not pass. Okay, I have the rod. <laughs> okay, I'm going to protect those behind me. Okay, all right. So, now why would, why would the rod and the staff be comforting? You've arrived, you're here, you've got the staff, you've got the rod. Why is that a comfort? I'm at the right place. I'm at the right place. Protected. I, and I feel protected. Why? Because I've seen this shepherd protect the flock. If he's standing there, he will protect me. He will take care of me. I will be safe because he's here. Okay? Is there a sense in a couple of weeks when President Nelson stands, comes to the pulpit, do we have a sense of comfort? The shepherd is here. We don't know what he's going to say. We don't know what he's going to change. But we know that the shepherd has arrived and there's a certain comfort that says if we need to do this, that is coming from the Lord. And we go, okay, there we go. What comes next? Because it's almost like he's going to stand there with the rod and say, we're going to pass underneath the, the rod. Okay? Kind of cool? Yeah, present. But he also has the staff, which indicates he'll lead us. Yeah. So in all, I, will, I will protect the enemies. I'm going to let you know what's coming. But he's also carrying the staff that says, follow me. And we're going, we're glad to follow. You're going to lead us to green pastures. We're not sure where it is, but we're going to follow you. Great point. Okay. All right. Well, we're out of time. Uh, let's see. I've still got... Okay. Uh, we can finish with this. And I will purge out from among you the rebels. So our final, final thing then is just, in essence, the combination of the rod, another way to look at this, is this justice. There are uh, uh, commandments, there are ordinances and things that need to be done. Uh, and the staff, mercy, the shepherd, brings the faith and trust that allows us to rest, lie down, and be comforted. We want a, we want a shepherd who has both a rod and a staff. And, and those are the things that bring us comfort. Okay. All right. So here's your homework for next week. We'll start with this. Uh, all right. There it is. Okay. So your job. I want you to think about this one. The next one is going to be, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. It's a conversation between him and the Lord. And, and you're going to provide a place 
but you're going to prepare a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. And that's, that's going to be a couple of very interesting images, and we're going to start with that uh, next week. Um, and, and can I turn you loose? Okay, so any final questions? See how much fun this is? <laughs> it's rich. It's deep. It is, it, is, um, it is full of understanding. Even at our most basic level, these, these things are here. Okay? Um, I bury my testimony that the Lord is guiding and direct us through shepherds. They carry rods and they carry staff. They stand in places and they are going to bring us to green pastures and then also to safety. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.